Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we talk with Eric Clark, CEO of Orion Advisor Solutions. Clark has appeared on Think Advisor's IA25 lists in 2012 and 2019, and in 2019 also received the Investment News Icon and Innovators Award. We begin our conversation talking about how, during the current pandemic, Orion has managed to keep a technology and trading organization of over 700 employees operating virtually. And during the discussion, we find lots of good ideas that advisory firms can use as well. Orion began as a technology firm. Since then, it has acquired an asset management platform and, most recently, a financial planning system. We discuss the pros and cons of utilizing an all-in-one solution like Orion has put together versus tying together best-in-class performers from each area, which Orion also supports. We talk about possible competitive competition from direct-to-consumer platforms and how advisors can respond. And listen through to the end, where we talk about the effect on referrals of how you put together that combination of services. Eric is one of our industry's top thought leaders, and he's actually deploying the concepts he sees as the future. So here now is our conversation with Eric Clark. Eric Clark, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, welcome. Thank you, Steve and Julie. It's it's an honor to be on the podcast today, and I look forward to uh, talking with you here over the next few minutes. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it too. And we really appreciate you taking some time because, you know, this is a crazy time and lots of things are going on. And, and one of those things is that, you know, most of us can't go to work uh, the way that we traditionally do. And I know that um, you have done a lot of figuring out how to keep the team running, even if you can't all be in one place. Can you tell us a little bit about um, how much of your team at Orion has moved to remote work and, and how you're sort of supporting their efforts at that? Absolutely. So we are 100% in a work from home environment at this point. And, you know, back at the beginning of March, as the, the virus situation began to unfold, we were dealing with a status of what to do with our teams on a, you know, at the beginning of March, it was a week by week, and then it moved to a day by day, and then almost an hour by hour situation as we made decisions to move, you know, members of our uh, team to working from home. So, you know, we have just over 850 members of our staff across six main office locations. And so we, we first started with our Manhattan and Seattle teams uh, working from home on March 10th, and then we moved our our Omaha, our Long Island, and our Philadelphia offices to working from home on March 16th, and then our Cincinnati office on March 18th. And we're monitoring our service levels very closely, using a lot of really great technology tools to help us continue to collaborate and stay in touch with each other, and make sure that we're able to uh, be all hands on deck because not only has this created a work from home environment, but it's also created a lot of volatility in the markets every single day. You know, we're seeing the markets move a couple of percent up or down, and that has created a lot of volume in our systems. And so, 
you know, we, we'd happy to talk to you more about that and some of the things that, that we're seeing along those lines. Yeah, well, so I think one of the things that we'd love to get from you is is um, some of those insights because, as you say, you've got a very large team in a lot of different locations and, and you're, you know, working in a time-critical environment. A lot of advisors uh, are also having to figure out how to work from home and, and have uh, have staffs and are trying to figure this out. And so you've got a lot of a lot more resources that you've been able to tap into. And so what could you share with our listeners about what you've learned that might help them work more effectively uh, for, you know, in, a, in that sort of distributed model? Well, you know, I think it, it starts with making sure that your business is running on cloud-based applications wherever possible. Those cloud-based applications not only provide you the ability to, to work remotely, but they also typically will provide greater transparency into the, the data and the information that they, that they store. Um, you know, in addition to you know, your core operating systems being cloud-based, uh, a couple of years ago, we made a decision to go with a cloud-based uh, phone provider, which allows us to, you know, route calls to people wherever they're at, including uh, from home. And we're also leveraging tools like online chat so that our advisors can quickly reach out to us right away when they need us and be able to have a conversation via a, a chat window as opposed to having to email or call us, you know, with questions as they come up. And I think enabling those those types of technology capabilities uh, for advisor to client is also mission critical so that clients can uh, conversationally uh, chat with their advisor, whether that's electronically or through a cloud-based uh, phone system. But then we always have those uh, legacy applications, uh, typically firms, uh, will have a couple of them. We certainly did, uh, that we enable through, uh, Citrix and that technology has been around obviously for decades. And, and we've probably all used Citrix as part of our business continuity plan, uh, for a, a number of years, but that's also a good system because, you know, uh, this, as I said, unfolded very quickly. And so that's a very uh, good technology to help you take those legacy systems and enable a, a work from home environment. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah, the, um, obviously a lot of this is, is, is stuff that we'll want to dig into a little bit more in terms of, you know, what, what do we learn from this and how do you, how will you operate in the long term? for those, firms that have legacy systems in the office and um, they're trying to sort of cope with it. What, what, what kind of suggestions would you have for the short term? One, one you just mentioned, which is, you know, utilize Citrix to, Citrix to get some of those legacy systems up online so you can access them even if you're not in the office. But you mentioned things like uh, enabling chat or electronic communication with clients. There's probably things you're doing to enable more or enhanced uh, sort of chat or communication um, between employees since they're not all sitting in the same space. So are there some suggestions you can make on that? And then sort of the other question that's related to that is, you know, how are you maintaining sort of the social connections that you have among your staff now that you're all in different locations? Well, it's absolutely critical because we, we think of, uh, you know, web enabling or cloud enabling 
uh, our mission critical systems. But we also have to recognize that the culture of our business has been dramatically impacted by this work from home environment. So we're using tools uh, like Slack uh, to help our teams stay connected and uh, interact with each other on a real time basis. We've also used it to, to host uh, you know, application uh, meetings and huddles. Uh, and we have encouraged our teams to you know, leverage technologies like Zoom as they're meeting with our advisors and to uh, meet with each other as a team, uh, you know, for their daily huddles or even hosting and uh, uh, having virtual happy hours with each other. Uh, things like that have been really fun. We've, we've uh, for those of you that use uh, Slack, you kind of segment out your communication into different channels um, as well as having the ability to direct message each other. But uh, in Slack, you know, we have some pretty fun channels that are around uh, helping people exercise, uh, you know, together, even though we're physically apart and uh, share pictures of pets, uh, pictures of things that they're doing with kids and, and as families. And, and those, those types of things are, are really fun. Using Slack uh, for us has dramatically reduced the amount of email that we're sending to each other, uh, which is, I think, just a, a huge win across the board. And I would expect us to continue to, to migrate in that direction here as, as we move forward. I think it's a, you're raising a, so many important points here. Uh, one is getting rid of email. I'm with you on that. And, and Slack, <laughs> Slack is uh, is often a tool, I think, for larger teams. Uh, but, I mean, it could be anything from uh, other chat features or even um, WhatsApp. You know, there's a, there's a lot of different things being used right now. Um, I did want to pick up uh, just on one of your earlier comments, uh, Eric, about you mentioned volatility. What it, it made me think of is the fact that as much as we're talking about work from home, as if it is a, a technical issue, we just need to figure out how to get set up and how to communicate. It also seems that it's that the fundamental communications are also changing. It's a different environment. Clients have different challenges. And as you said, the market is increasingly volatile. So what are you seeing as some of the biggest challenges that advisors face now in terms of uh, communicating with their clients on some of these topics? Well, I think that the topic itself has has changed. Um, you know, we're not just talking about an economy that is uh, in a correction. We're, we're talking about a global pandemic. And while many of us may have been aware of, you know, pandemics that took place, uh, you know, centuries ago, uh, I don't think that any of us ever planned to live through one. And, and as we find ourselves in the middle of that, a lot of, a lot of clients uh, are scared. A lot of advisors are reaching out with uh, behavioral techniques to help uh, clients cope with, uh, you know, this new reality that we find ourselves in. And so I really applaud those advisors uh, that, that are making those uh, behavioral outreaches to, to their clients and helping them cope through this on a much broader scale than simply focusing on the financial impacts of this pandemic on their portfolio or their, uh, 
you know, say a, a financial goal that they have, but they're stepping back and they're really helping the client with uh, models to help them uh, adjust behaviors, look at uh, this uh, with a different perspective and adjust their paradigm lens. And that's been incredibly valuable. I've attended uh, several of those webinars that our advisors have hosted and really enjoyed them and found great benefit from them. I've gone home, shared a couple of things with uh, uh, my college age kids and, you know, helped them adjust the way that they're, they're thinking about things as well. So I, I love uh, this industry and these fiduciary advisors and their ability to step back and really uh, help their clients in some fantastic ways. What, what, what are a couple of the most interesting points that you took home from those advisor webinars? Like what, what kinds of things did you share with your kids? Well, there was uh, a model that Alex Merguia at McLean Asset Management shared uh, called the RAIN model. And Alex has a, a PhD in clinical psychology. And so he's uniquely skilled and, uh, and his perspective on, you know, stepping back, uh, being able to recognize, you know, our, our emotions that we're feeling, but not letting those emotions, you know, become us just simply say, Hey, I feel this way. Um, now I'm going to step back and uh, adjust and say, well, what can I do uh, today that's the, you know, with the understanding of an acceptance of this new reality, what can I do today that's, that's the, the next right thing uh, with consideration of, of the circumstances that I find myself in? So you, you kind of get to a point where you accept uh, the fact that you can't do what you had planned, a trip that you had planned, a get-together, uh, an event, uh, those things are clearly canceled and, and off the table. But uh, with that understanding, what can you do today uh, that's the next right thing? And being able to adjust your perspective accordingly uh, not only applies, obviously, to portfolio advice, but it applies towards uh, being able to help us accept and adjust our perspectives with with our lives as well well and 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 in addition to that you know i i would i would add that um you know one of the things that's overwhelming a lot of us you know advisors and clients both is the fact that we have no control over this and so you can really get overwhelmed quickly because this is a whole situation that that you don't really have any ability to influence and so just giving people something to do giving them something that they can control helps quell some of those, you know, anxiety feelings that we, that we get. You're exactly right. Yeah. It's, it's a big part of certainly the research that we did this year on, on this concept of self-confidence and and what we can do. Uh, These things have always been important, but uh, probably more so now than, than ever. Um, You know, Eric, I'd love to, to sort of, look a little more broadly at the work that you're doing, you know, as we look at your firm, which has evolved so uh, tremendously over the years, uh, moving from technology into being a TAMP, there's planning and marketing services. I have to imagine that that evolution is a reflection of the problems that you're trying to solve for advisors today. So how would you define 
uh, those problems? How do you see your role in helping to bridge some of those gaps? Well, we've certainly had the good fortune of being partnered with TA Associates uh, as a private equity investor in our business over the past five years. And uh, they have helped us really think differently about our business's strategy and what we can be doing to more broadly help the independent fiduciary advisors that, that we serve. Uh, as a result of, of that strategic thinking, we've been able to deploy some capital uh, and you know acquire uh, FTJ Fund Choice, which really uh, allowed us to extend out uh, strategies to the advisors that we were serving from a technology perspective, bringing uh, UMA and SMA capabilities to them and helping them implement those within their portfolios in a technology savvy way. We, we were also able to acquire a financial planning uh, firm in July of 2019 called Advisor. And that, uh, although uh, financial planning uh, acquisition was very much about creating and extending out a best-in-class client experience to our advisors to, to leverage with their clients. And as we look at, you know, who we really admire in this business and who we think are doing some, some things on a, a very cutting-edge basis, obviously we, we're all aware of the robo-advisors, but the one in particular that, that stands out to me is personal capital because personal capital uses that best-in-class technology experience to uh, prospect and connect and grow their, their firm. And as we looked at, at, you know, the landscape, what Advisor was doing fit squarely in that space and really allowed us to extend that type of capability to the advisors that we serve. So you talk about um, best-in-class client experience. How do you see this kind of technology sort of specifically supporting a differentiated or or best-in-class experience? Well, we're all about enabling our advisors' unique value proposition, helping them accelerate and accentuate what makes them unique in the marketplace. Identifying, you know, what they're what they're great at, and then being able to individualize and personalize our technology to help them extend those capabilities out to their their clients. You know, as we look at the industry and uh, you know, general, I think we're seeing a huge shift from an asset management centered value proposition to a planning centered value proposition. The one interesting thing about this is that clients don't particularly enjoy the process of going through a financial planning exercise, that end-to-end, full-blown planning exercise where they're making decisions 5, 10, 15, 20 years out and entering those assumptions and getting back a thick financial plan that typically sits on the shelf and doesn't get a lot of interaction and engagement and maybe once or once a year or once every uh, couple of years it gets dusted off and and updated and i think it's really important that we help advisors embrace episodic just in time planning that's relevant 
to the client's specific situation. I, th I think that's absolutely critical so that the experience as we shift from asset uh, management value oriented uh, propositions to financial planning oriented value propositions that the experience that the client has is actually uh, better as opposed to something that, you know, maybe would be on the lines of getting a root canal. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you. And so, so where do you see the, the future of some of this going? I imagine you have moments of imagining what that will look like. Well, I think that it involves a context that, that creates an interactive and enjoyable experience uh, for the client. And it also has to be efficient for advisors to execute and provide to clients at scale. So, you know, there's not a better example uh, than this pandemic that we're living through that would uh, allow us to see the importance of having a planning technology that allows us to engage uh, our clients, allows the client to interact with that technology on a real-time basis, and ultimately becomes the hub of all things financial for that client so that they are engaged in their financial plan without even uh, directly knowing that, hey, I've, I'm creating a financial plan here. Julie, did you want to ask more about that? Because I'd, I'd like to ask about the all-in-one versus separate thing. Yeah, no, you go ahead. So, um, uh, Eric, you know, you, you, you have taken um, your firm in the direction of, of adding more capabilities into a suite, into a, a unified sort of um, uh, connected group of applications. And, uh, and I'm interested in your perspective on this because I know I have feelings from, from the past and I'm, I'm really interested in, in hearing what people think about this. I'm going to relate this to, you know, one of my hobbies is woodworking and in my shop, you can buy tools that do uh, a bunch of different things, or you can buy uh, a collection of tools, each of which does only one thing, but does it exceedingly well. And when, when I've when I've worked with those, I've, I've always seen a trade-off between the things that can do a bunch of things and the things that are really limited, but really good at a particular thing. And I'm interested in your perspective on, um, you know, building what I would view as, and you can correct me if you disagree, what I would view as sort of an all-in-one kind of a strategy as opposed to choosing one area and getting really good at it and making sure that you, you know, have ways of communicating and, and uh, integrating with, with other really good, really specialized kinds of applications. Can you give us a little bit of your perspective on that trade-off? Absolutely. So, you know, the 2,000 plus firms that we serve with our technology are independent advisors and they're independent for a reason. And they typically have very unique value propositions. Uh, you know, so for us to, to serve those independent advisors, we not only have to be uh, great at the services that we provide to them, but we also have to uh, open up and allow them to leverage the data that we do have across other systems that may be providing additional value adds to their their value proposition. So, you know, 
going back over six years ago, we opened up our uh, client portal as an open source project out on GitHub. We opened up our API and allowed our integration partners like Redtail and Salesforce to come in and leverage that data and uh, allowing our advisors to have some real operational efficiencies. So for us, it's not only about creating a great client experience or creating operational efficiencies, but it's at its core uh, supporting the independent nature of the advisors that we serve. Now, I can tell you that over time, uh, one of the things that we've learned is that integration can be a source of frustration to the advisors that, that we work with. So we try and make that as easy as possible by forming deep relationships and partnerships with the other uh, technology uh, technologies that our advisors are, are using. Uh, we get together with those partners on a regular and frequent basis, uh, reviewing items that are top of mind to our advisors. We have Slack channels, so we're communicating with each other throughout the day via Slack uh, to make sure that those integrations are working. And yet at the same time, if there's something that we can be doing better for our advisors, we're absolutely going to go after that. If we can be providing a better client portal experience and you know what, that might involve aspects of planning, we're going to be pursuing that. But we'll continue to integrate with the uh, third party systems that our advisors uh, love and we'll be uh, champions of that. And as I explain it to my team, what we're all about is independence bundled. And if we're proprietary and providing that, that bundled solution, that's great. If we need to use uh, third-party integration partners to provide that integrated bundled experience to our advisors, then, then we'll absolutely be supportive of that as well. We touched briefly on um, Betterment and, and whatnot and, and the impact on the advisory business. Are you seeing any different kinds of competition coming that we should be thinking about? Well, I think that there are things that have fundamentally changed in our industry that advisors should be taking advantage of. So, for instance, uh, the custodians that many of our advisors use have lowered their, their trading fees to zero. So I think that opens up opportunities for our advisors to uh, create uh, more tax-efficient portfolios, take advantage of tax-less harvesting without that friction point existing, and maybe even challenge some of their traditional assumptions around building portfolios just by using index funds or ETFs. Now the technology exists to replicate those indexes and get the, the tax benefits of individual security ownership, um, you know, uh, with a couple of clicks and the advisors can extend uh, tax alpha out to their clients in a very uh, unique and efficient way. So I think that we should be looking at the things that are changing in the industry and asking ourselves, what changes can I be making in my business to benefit my clients that, that I serve? Not just uh, simply saying, well, this is a very interesting thing as these custodians are competing with each other to win business, 
but really step back and ask ourselves, what can we be doing differently as a result of these, these fundamental shifts that are taking place? And how can I help my clients win as a result of these shifts? Do you have, do you have any thoughts about how uh, an example of, of how an advisor might adapt? You mentioned personal capital before as a great example of, of a firm that goes direct to advisors. And, and then there's, you know, Vanguard personal advisory services that throws a human in the mix there and, and does it really inexpensively. What, what are some of the, or do you have any examples of something that, that, um, that you took from observing firms like that, that an advisor might think about incorporating into how they do business? Well, absolutely. All of those firms that, that you just mentioned have some pretty significant digital ad campaigns that, that they're executing. And, uh, you know, it's going to be uh, more and more difficult for advisors to win business, uh, especially uh, in this environment where we can't meet face to face with uh, prospects. I think that it's it's always a good idea to to look at these digital ad campaigns and advisors to challenge their marketing teams to say what can we do to create uh, uh, leads for our business. You know, when 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 you look at any business, really, your marketing engine creates the leads, your uh, sales team creates clients, and your operational teams create promoters. Those promoters then. Uh, in turn, create referrals back, which which uh, become leads, and that's how any business really operates as a team. And as I look at Vanguard, uh, you know Schwab, Personal Capital, Betterment, they all have fairly aggressive digital ad campaigns in place that are generating a lot of leads, a lot of opportunities, and advisors uh, have a lot of third parties that are providing marketing campaign capabilities out there, they just simply need to look at what can we be doing to execute these campaigns? What markets should we be targeting? How can we narrow cast our message to the specific type of client that we can really come in and add a lot of value to? And the firms that are executing those digital ad campaigns successfully are seeing a lot of really great lead flow as a result. So you mentioned uh, you mentioned in there the, the the secret word for the podcast, which is referrals. Um, and so I, I'd like to specifically get you know you said you you you'd observed a few things that some of these companies are doing that that bring in not only fresh leads from new marketing campaigns but also stimulate referrals. How, how do you see an, an advisor leveraging some of these evolving technologies to increase you know that means of getting new leads specifically? Well. There are digital ad campaign tools. You know, we launched one this past week, which we call Marketer. Uh, Marketer really allows the the firm to come in, select the type of campaign that they that they want to run, whether it's around college savings, retirement income, retirement accumulation. Uh, they can execute the digital platform that they want to advertise their message on. They can track the referrals and leads that they receive. Uh, there are email campaigns that can be executed if digital ads seems a little bit too too far of a stretch. Uh, there are mailers. There are all types of, of resources that are available. But then not only knowing what message you want to put out there, but then how do we track the interest that comes in? 
whether it's you know downloads of a white paper or downloads of uh, some educational material, and how can we then execute an email campaign to follow up and really nurture those leads? But um, you know, when it comes to uh, referrals specifically, I always tell my my staff. Our, our marketing team, again, creates the leads. Our sales team creates the clients. But our operational and IT staff, that's where we create promoters. So every time we engage with an advisor client of ours, I ask them to look at the communication and ask themselves, am I creating a promoter or am I simply maintaining a client? Because our objective needs to be to create promoters for our business and do whatever we can to help support those advisors that we serve because those advisors in turn will then create referrals back for, for our business. And as advisors are listening to this podcast, you know, I'd like to challenge you to do the same thing with, with your uh, teams as well. Really look at the operational teams that you have, the experience that you create and leverage that to create referrals. You know, is a, a book that I read several years ago called Brand Harmony. And that Brand Harmony book uh, really stressed the importance of the, the client journey, that client experience, and making sure that uh, the marketing message doesn't uh, promote something that's very different than the client experience. And I, I think that that's uh, something that um, we all need to step back and look at constantly with our businesses. It's such a great point to, to, to head us into to wrapping this up because I, I do think as, as we talk to a lot of advisors about referrals, the experience that gets described to us um, is frankly the experience that anyone should expect if they're paying any money to an advisor. It's, it is maintenance to, to that extent. So I love this idea of you know, a journey is active and a journey needs a guide. And, and the more that advisors can be supporting that, I think, is, is a really a great thought and a great question that we all need to ask ourselves. Um, uh, Eric, just before we, we wrap up, though, um, you know, I always see you as someone who's, who's got their finger on the pulse of what's going on. How do you stay current on what's happening in the industry? And I ask because I think uh, that might be helpful for advisors as well. Well, I absolutely love to read. Uh, I love to read uh, different books on business strategy. I, I love to read uh, different industry publications so that I can can have a pulse of what's going on. But I also uh, love to, to read things outside of our business, whether they're uh, things that happened historically or things happening now, and really challenge myself to say, what can we be doing to bring back this great idea into our business today. Um, I think that we, we constantly have to be willing to embrace change and be adaptable because times like this, especially, we create opportunities for ourselves to come out the other side so much stronger. And if we can have that mindset uh, of being adaptable and really digging deep to challenge ourselves and our teams as leaders saying, hey, you know what, this is our new norm. Understanding that, what can we accelerate today that puts us in position to win tomorrow? 
So, um, Eric, what would you say is the, the best book that you've read in the last month or so that advisors should think about? You know, when the pandemic started, uh, <clears throat> my friend here in Omaha, Ron Carson, sent me uh, his book, Proven in the Trenches. It, it just showed up in the mail uh, with a note, and I read it. I, I loved it and uh, would encourage all advisors to, to take some time to, to read that because it really, uh, you know, allows us to uh, see what an opportunity uh, situations like this create. That's great. That's excellent. Well, Eric, thank you so much for, for joining us. There's a lot of good stuff here and we'd love to keep talking, but we have to let our listeners go on to the next thing. If someone wanted to find out more about you or more about Orion, where could they find you? The other thing that we acquired uh, in 2019 was the Orion.com URL. In fact, it was such an exciting acquisition for us. That <laughs> oh, so close. Our website is simply Orion.com, O-R-I-O-N.com. And my email address, should you wish to reach me directly, is just Eric, E-R-I-C, at Orion.com as well. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, you're known for being very open and communicating directly, so I'm sure that's appreciated. Thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve, and thank you, Julie. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.